Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Hey, hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show. I'm your host, Michael McCall, and we've got another packed show for you again this week. We'll be looking at football's continued lockdown around the world, what some leagues are looking to do to get it back. We'll also be looking at some news coming out closer to home in MLS and USL, and we'll be sitting down for a chat with new Canadian PFA president, Marcel de Jong, just talking about the new CPL union and what that could mean for the players and the league. So as always with these shows, we're going to kick things off this week with Around the World with Joe Corona. Where's Joe been this week? Where's he going to take us? Well, to discuss about what's happening in the world of football during the lockdowns and the shutdowns, welcome back to the show, Zachary Adam Meisenheimer. How's it going, Michael? It's going very well. A lot to talk about this week, because last week we, we didn't go very far with Joe, we just kind of focused on North America, but we're going to we're gonna be going all over the place with him this week, because it's been an interesting week in the world of football. A couple of leagues have declared themselves void, a couple of leagues are looking to return to play next month, and a lot of leagues just still have no idea what they're going to do, or how they're going to sort this, and... It's going to be a lot of discussions to be had, and as we keep saying, not everyone is going to be happy in, in all of this. But let, let's let's start down in Asia. South Korea, the K-League, is one of the leagues that is definitely coming back in May, or at least for now, they say they're definitely coming back. The country is lifting social distancing measures on May 5th, and the K-League top two divisions is slated to get back into action on May 8th. It will be without fans. There's no set date as to to when or if fans will be able to start attending again this season. They've set out some specific rules. If any player tests positive for the coronavirus, his team and their opponents, the the day that he's, he's been in a match that's tested positive, they'll be required to quarantine and they will not play any games for at least two weeks Games initially will be limited in one of the worst hit cities, which is Daegu, but elsewhere the the games will get back into action. The plan is to play 27 matches instead of the usual 38. They hadn't started the, the season before all this happened. If there was to be a second outbreak before 22 matches have been played and they can't finish the league, then no champion will be crowned. But if they've played at least 22 then the standings at that time, if they do have to, to then lock down and shut down again, they'll they'll count as final. 
And I just want to give a big shout out to Korean journalist Steve Han for putting all that information out on Twitter. So, I mean, it looks like the K-League is coming back. It looks like they've taken precautions. And I think, much like countries are doing with Korea and looking at how what their model's been like with the virus, how they've handled it, how the curve has been, everything like that, I think football leagues will now be looking at the K-League as the example of, is this how we can get back to action? As far as I know, yes. Oh, yeah, he is. Yeah, sorry, I just checked his uh, Instagram. Yeah, he's still there. Okay, that's good. I thought it would be great for him to be able to get back playing football. Um, Korea, when it comes to the COVID-19 virus, my understanding, the, the news media and stuff I've been reading and listening to, whatever, is that they uh, have been the, like the benchmark in terms of how to handle things and how to, and how to do things, which yeah. is why uh, they uh, have... Um, or whatever, like it's it's been quite. It has not impacted. Uh, they've not had as many infections and as many as deaths as other places around the world. Um, obviously, any death is tragic and sad. But they uh, think they've done things really well. There's my understanding, and so to see them have a plan for this is not surprising. Also, I remember back in the day having conversations, a few conversations with Martin Rennie around uh, his. It was before he went, so he was, you know, dealing with the, the club in Korea that he was going to work at after the Whitecaps, and he spoke very highly just about football clubs there and the culture there and how, you know, how ordered and how um, kind of everything was handled down to like you know the finest kind of detail kind of thing. Um, possibly because the, the clubs there are mostly connected or maybe even exclusively connected to large corporations. Um, a very different model of football. So it's not surprising to see that they've come out with this very well, seemingly well thought out plan of what this is going to look like and kind of caveats for, you know, if this should happen and that should happen and all that kind of stuff. So obviously we hope that this is, this goes well for them and their, their society, the people in their country and all that. And they don't have to deal with second waves or third waves or whatever of, of the virus. And uh, this, you know, this doesn't put people at undue risk, uh, players and staff and all that at undue risk in that it can also be a benchmark in terms of how other countries can handle this uh, in the months ahead as their, as their countries come to the similar timing in all of this process that, that we're all kind of going through around the world. Yeah, I think the, the world will certainly be, be watching the K-League to see how things go there. I mean, if, if those games were being shown or on TV, would you have an interest in, in watching them, Zach? Obviously, I'm all in on the Belarus Premier League. We'll talk about that in the next, next part. My, my mighty sluts are still top of the league there. But, I mean, would you... Obviously, you've got Daniil as a, as a way to possibly tempt you to watch it. But would you have an appetite for watching Korean football? Yeah, I think so. Uh, well, I think definitely because Danielle Henry's matches in Canada, I think, would be a draw. Yeah. I think there's people across this country who would want to watch him. Uh, people who have, who do or have supported Vancouver or, or do or have supported Toronto and the diehards of the, the men's national team would definitely want to watch him and, and, would, and would jump at the opportunity. Do you know, is it going to be available in Canada? I, I don't know. They haven't had those discussions yet. I know that the... The the baseball league, I can't remember if it's in Korea or Japan just now. I think it is Korea that's playing the baseball. That there's been discussions of of bringing that to to Canadian TV. So I'm pretty sure somebody 
possibly disown because they haven't refunded anyone their annual fees yet or anything to do with that. So maybe they might be in the market for getting some more live sports that isn't just dart players playing darts in their kitchen. Yeah. Yeah, I was lucky that my <laughs> my annual subscription ended in the middle of March. <laughs> yeah, mine started in January again. I wasn't so lucky. But so I, I am watching I the darts every I night. I renew my disown uh, subscription <laughs> just to watch the game. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I guess there's that. There, there, there's that aspect as well. And the Belarus League, you can watch that free and live legally on YouTube. So there you go. I mean, we're talking about all eyes being on it, and you talked about how it's not just players that's going to be involved in, in closed door matches. There was an interesting article as we move to Europe now. AP News was talking about the German Bundesliga. Yeah. Now. They hope to join the K-League and getting back into action, but things are not looking so simple. They were targeting May 9th. That was the, the last date that I read, but news came out tonight on Twitter that it looks like the meeting that was going to be held with government officials and Bundesliga clubs this week, it's not going to be discussing restarting the league at that meeting, and discussions now will not be held until the next meeting on May 6th. So that May 9th date looks to be totally out the window. So, I mean, they, they seem keen to get back, but there's just so many restrictions. And again, you've got so many different like federal governments as well that's going to have their own restrictions that I don't think it's going to be as easy for Germany as they think it is to, to get back to playing. Yeah, uh, Germany is another culture that's you know very well known for its structure and order and doing things excellent, like doing things as, as excellently as possible. Uh, I, so I can see how, you know, and again, within Europe, they've, I think, handled it better than some other countries. Yeah. Um, or their approach to, you know, I, I think one of the things they've been known for is like the amount of testing they've done and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, there is, it, I, I, I hadn't heard that little update that you just gave, so that's kind of disappointing, I guess, this meeting of that they're going to have uh, this week or whatever is more about maybe f federal support for the clubs in the midst of all of this. And but I don't understand how you couldn't also have a discussion about their plans to, you know, get back to making money for themselves. But yeah, I mean, I guess uh, they just feel it's not at a position yet where they yeah. can comfortably bring people back. I mean, they talked about the the testing aspect this week and the. the Bundesliga said that there was certainly enough tests. It was going to be less than 1% of t available tests that would be used to, to bring it back, which is a vast difference to what it would be in the UK, which we'll, we'll come to, to later on in this part. But yeah, it's the, the article that I read in AP News was talking about that if you put on a closed door game, you'd still require around 300 people minimum to be in attendance. And that includes like players, officials, medical staff, cleaning staff, like catering staff. So that's still a lot of people that you still have to get in and out of a stadium safely. Yeah, which is, but that's not too bad. Those stadiums are huge. It, True. The other, the other thing I was thinking about uh, is, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, what happens if you have closed-door matches, the ultras, and yeah. the, the fanatics are just going to gather. Anyways, here's the thing. Uh, especially in Germany, like I've been to a number of these stadiums in Germany, and for the World Cup and for big, like the Champions League final stuff, like I've been to, there are ways to make it so that people cannot get close to the stadium. Oh, yeah. Like, like, yeah. Sort of like checkpoints, like far. Like, I remember, yeah, the, 
the the Champions League final I went to in Munich and like the World Cup games, the checkpoints to get close to the stadium where you have to show your ticket to get through are like they're not right up against the stadium, right? Like they are like far, far like considerable. I remember the first one I went to in in Hamburg. I was shocked at how how broad, the, how far away I was from this actual building before, you know, at the point I was checking kind of into the stadium with my ticket. So there are ways, maybe not in all countries, but I know in Germany, there are ways to say, you know, to, to cordon things off and say like, you know, whatever it is, a half a kilometer or something, or, you know, you no one can be that close to the stadium. And so I could, yeah, I could see them, maybe they would gather in other places they shouldn't, but not outside the stadium. Well, they, they could just get in touch with FC Dallas. I mean, they've managed to keep fans away from their stadium for years. Uh, Leading the way. Things are always bigger in Texas, just not crowds. Elsewhere in Europe, in Italy, Serie A and Serie B sides agreed on Tuesday that they want to try and finish the season. They're looking at uh, the end of May as a targeted date to get back to return. I mean, you consider like what's happened in that country and how bad it's been. I mean, that would just be a remarkable feat. The Italian Prime Minister said today that sports teams can resume training on May 18th. So it's maybe not out with the realms of possibility. Numbers are falling there. Again, it would be closed doors. I I think for Italy, it would be so welcome because of what they've been through. But it just just feels so soon, though, after what they've been through at, at the same time. All these things, whatever country you're in, they just there are ways you can do these kind of things. The same way we can go to the grocery store and get groceries, there are ways that you can do these things to minimize risk. And yeah, as as, as long as you can do those as well as possible, then I, I think like the Italian football coming back and being people being able to watch on TV, I think would be a boost to morale to the average Italian. Um, which might be nice, as they're, as they're probably still going to be stuck in their home for the most part, right? Yeah, oh, um, I get, so, imagine so. But it, it does, it, this does feel all feel crazy. Or like, uh, I, I, obviously, selfishly, yeah, it'd be great to watch the football in May. Yeah, but it does feel all this, all this talk, whether it's Korea, Germany, Italy, wherever, it feels crazy to think about those things right now. I, I would be happy for them, obviously, but it just feels like yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, I know I've been going on about the Belarusian Premier League for the last couple of weeks. Part of me, when I'm watching that and I'm seeing the fans not wearing masks and in close attendance at the things going, what are you guys doing? Why why, why are you playing on? Yeah, it's great to watch it, but I'm sitting watching it, feeling a little pang of guilt as to this should not be happening. Yeah. Now, UEFA had a meeting this week. And that saw them announce that leagues could end early now without it affecting their places in next season's European club competition. So finally, they've come out and said that. And the the first league to react to that was Holland. They declared the 2019-2020 Eredivisie season null and void on Friday. No champion will be crowned. That was basically as a result of their Prime Minister also saying that there could be no football played until at least September 1st in Holland. Declaring it null and void seemed to me that the only way that you could do it because you had Ajax and AZ Alkmaar tied in 56 points from 25 games. Feyenoord were back in third on on 50 points. There was nine matches remaining. And, I mean, when you've got teams, two teams tied in points, you you can't crown a champion. 
I think it's the right decision. They're looking at October 1st now as the targeted date for the next season to begin. But it, I, I hear you, and for UEFA and the qualification of the, the competitions for you know the Champions League and Europa League and all that, they need to know obviously earlier. But wouldn't it be like, and, and, and like for the specific situation in Holland, this is, wouldn't it be great if like they did, instead of doing, you know how most leagues begin like with a charity shield match, you know, like they call it in England, or the community shield they call it in England. Yeah. In Germany, it's the like the Super Cup or whatever. Other countries are called the Super Cup. They have the last year's cup winner versus the the first place winner. Wouldn't it be great if the Dutch FA said, instead of doing that game, we're going to have a playoff between Ajax and AZ, and the winner gets the title for the previous year. I yeah. Feyenoord might not be so keen on that. Yeah, I mean, they, they were, I mean, six points back. Yeah, they could catch both teams. I haven't looked at the fixtures, but I mean, I, I think that would make total sense. It'd be, it'd be good. I mean, you've also got the problem as well, though, if they're not crowning a champion, one of the Dutch teams got to enter the Champions League at a different time from the second place team. So the, the champions go around later. So they're, that could be a problem. And if they're not playing any football until October 1st, I mean, if UEFA have their way and they start European competitions before that, then the, there's going to be more issues there. So again, yeah, it could still be a bit of a mess. They will just step in and, and choose a... Yeah. Maybe they'll go for like goal difference or, or something like that. Belgium's Jupiler League was the, the first league that had cancelled their season, but then they had to backtrack on that because UEFA had threatened to... to ban them from European competitions. Now that this decision's come down, they're meeting tomorrow, Monday the 27th, which is likely to ratify the end of that season. So that's good. La Liga announced that they'll complete their season. They didn't give a timescale though, but they want to finish the season. In Scotland, it's still a mess. There's more animosity and there's more meetings coming up and league reconstructions on the table and everyone's got their own agenda I won't go into that again just now but it's a complete shambles oh. Hearts still wants to stay up Yeah and the the chairwoman of Hearts Anne Budge is one of the two people in charge of the reconstruction uh, plans so No conflict of interest No, that, that just <laughs> seems bizarre but <laughs> But she's she's done so well to piss off other teams that she, it doesn't even look like whatever she puts forward is going to get support. And there's so many teams now that just want Hearts relegated. So that, that could be a fun couple of weeks coming up in Scotland. Now, in England, the, the top three non-league divisions have finally decided to end their season. So that's the, the National League and the National League North, National League South. So it's basically top two tiers, but it's like three divisions. Now, they haven't made a decision yet on what that's going to mean for promotion. And the reason that's important is the top team automatically get promoted into the Football League. And then another team gets promoted through the playoff system. Now, right now, the team that is top of the National League is a team called Barrow. And that's probably a team that not many folk know about, but it's a team... I, I took a little interest in when I was a, a boy because these Fife had played him in a friendly and I got a programme from that game. But back in the day in England, if you finished bottom of the, the English league, you could be voted out of the league by other teams and then a non-league team would take your place. Then it got expanded that any team that finished in the bottom three or bottom four could be eligible for the vote. So in 1972... 
Barrow finished third bottom and were controversially voted out of the Football League despite finishing third bottom. They lost their league place. They never were able to to get it back. They kind of went out were a kind of Phoenix club and came back. They finally had a chance of getting back into the Football League and now the season's been declared ended. It's like heartbreaking for them. And I just really, really hope that Common Sense just promotes them into the Football League now after all that. That would be nice for them. It would be a lovely story, but if they lost out because of that as well, because they've, they've never been anywhere near promotion for years since then. They've just had their season of their lives and it could all get taken away from them. I mean, I know you can't legislate for all these things happening, but it's just, it's a heartbreaking story. Now, in the English actual football leagues, still a lot of confusion. There were reports this week that the bottom two divisions, so that's League One and League Two, might be reorganised and they could be regionalised. Now, that is what happened in the bottom two leagues in England from 1921 to 1958, you had Division 3 North and Division 3 South. That's what they're looking at doing again to, to kind of cut down on how much folk have to travel just now and costs and have bigger crowds because you're going to have more local derbies and all this kind of stuff. I mean, on paper, it looks great. I don't think clubs would be against it, but it's kind of weird how much football has advanced and then you're looking at going back to such an old system. But I, I like regionalisation, and I, I still, I know a lot of folk aren't in favour of it in MLS. I would quite like it because you've got more chance of, of going to more matches over the course of a year as opposed to thinking, oh, I'm not going to go to Philadelphia. I'm not going to go to Columbus. Oh, yeah, a couple of trips to LA, to Seattle, Portland, Salt Lake, Colorado. I, I like regionalization. Yeah, it, there's pros and cons to it. Um, I know, but, but at that level, it's probably a healthy thing. I know, like in Germany, I believe. Bundesliga three, from there below, it's all regionalized. So, and it works quite well. well definitely below level three. It's yeah, but I think I think even the third division is, is regionalized. I definitely know the fourth is just from so many of the Canadian guys that's gone to these different regional the third, leagues. The, the third either is or it used to be. Um, but yeah, no, it, uh, so the, the, yeah. So as you go down there, obviously financially it makes sense as well. Now, the, the Football League's denying that that's something that they're actively looking at. They're not confirming much, really, apart from saying that they still hope to finish the season and they hope to do it in a 56-day period, which is a lot of games to cram in. Now, the Sun newspaper, they had an exclusive today saying that Premier League clubs hope to return to training on May 9th and that apparently Premier League clubs are looking at allowing five subs in matches just to ease the pressure on the players because they'll be playing so many games in a short period of time. And FIFA has highlighted that as a as a big concern for leagues that do come back, that you're going to really run these players into the ground, especially as a lot of them won't have been training or, or done what they needed to do over the last couple of months. Oh, yeah, uh, something like that would, would make sense, right? Yeah. In terms of just player safety, player health, you know, looking after the players. It would be quite interesting to see how managers would use that, but yeah. Yeah. That would benefit deeper squads. And, you know, well, it's going to be the same for MLS as well. It's like if MLS does come back with any plan and they're going to be playing a number of games, the, the stress on the players and the demands on them is going to be massive. Yeah, because in one sense, I mean, MLS is different because their season was just starting, but these players, where they're, it's like it's almost like if they actually do come 
spent. Well, yeah. Like for some of them, they will have not had this amount of time off from training and actual team stuff probably in their entire footballing careers. So in one sense, yeah. it's probably been nice, but in the other sense, it's probably been stressful because of all the other things that have brought it about. Maybe it'll make MLS appealing to some of these guys because they're going to then get a break over the December, January, February period. Maybe. Hmm. The UK government is starting a, a series of meetings with different sports officials this week to try and see when sports can return, what it would look like and stuff like that. And focusing some sports could return within weeks. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But that finishes our, our travels around the world with Joe Corona. In part two, Joe's going to be staying at home. And we're going to be looking at MLS and USL News. And we'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show. That was a song from our Artist of the Month for April, Art Brute. From their 2018 album, Wham Bang Pow, Let's Rock Out. That was a song called, I Hope You're Very Happy Together. Love the lyrics on that one. Eddie Argos, really good with his breakup songs. And as he spoke about there, hopefully that's going to be the last one that he's going to have to write. Because he's all settled down with a, a family now. That was the English band's fifth album. The previous one had come out in 2011, so there's a big, big gap be- between their albums, and it's currently their their most latest one. Hopefully there will be another one coming out soon. And that would normally have been our last song from the band for the month, but I just love them so much, I'm going to bring you a special bonus song at the start of part four. So in the first part there, we looked at how football shutdown was affecting Europe and Asia and various leagues around the world. We're staying home now with Joe Corona. He's not going out anywhere. We're going to turn our attentions back to football in good old North America. And what the future will look like this year is still anyone's guess. You feel it's still going to be a long time before we really have any idea as to to what sort of season we could have. MLS and the NWSL extended their training moratoriums till mid-May. MLS Commissioner Don Garber told Colorado's Altitude TV that everything's on the table. So I can only take it from that, that he's planning on finishing the season by playing Sabutio. Oh, man. Garber also said that we'll get back to playing and we'll get back to having our fans and we'll get back to MLS having the momentum that it had leading into its 25th season. But maybe we'll be producing games differently. 
Maybe we'll be interacting with our players and our fans differently. Maybe we'll be thinking about technology and how we communicate and how that technology can be used in our broadcasts and what we're going to be doing with our social media. How are we going to be using devices differently? Now, he said stuff like that elsewhere, including his chat recently with with Luke Wildman on on TSN. I mean, what do you think that could look like? To me, I, I, I foresee them doing something like a virtual stadium where fans are paying a ticket price to watch a game and have their a picture of them in the stands somehow. I mean, obviously you have to be able to see your picture in the stands, but I think they could be looking at that, having interactive ways, fans chatting during the game, maybe with some of the players that aren't on the pitch. It, it could be interesting. It could be very different. And Garb has kind of hinted before, this could change how football is even broadcast for for seasons to come once all this is behind us. It'd be one thing if like we knew that technology like that was like available or readily available or cheaply available, but because I'm not aware that it is, maybe it is, and I'm just mm. aware of it. I don't see them doing anything that crazy in, t- in terms of you having to pay to have your image in the stadium. I don't see a lot of people doing that. No. If games are going to be broadcast. But I mean, how, how, how could contracts they... contracts that they have with you know, TSN in Canada and, and the, their partners in the States. Well, I mean, if he's talking then about doing things differently, how how could that look? I mean, what what would you like to see? If you weren't able to get to games, and I include the CPL in this as well, if you couldn't get to matches, how would you like to, to have that experience of a closed-doors game? Well, that's the thing. As I think when he says different, he just means closed-door, I think is what he's, he's saying. So, yeah. Could be different, yeah. There, there's social interactions, like you were mentioning there, maybe with like players on the bench or like the you know the, the, the team officials down uh, like pitch side who are like doing commentary on more than just what's on that you could see happening on the field, right? Uh, or like live feeds of like I, I could I could see like even more like them trying to open the dressing room more at halftime to get like. Mm. You know, like they did with uh, <laughs> at the beginning of the year, yeah, right, when they, they were filming everything. They're going to need to have some, anyways. yeah, they'll have to like, have somebody or... that up for 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 TV access or or broadcast access, right? Um, that kind of stuff. But, yeah, but I, I I can't see anything being that drastically different. You know, beyond using the tools that we we already have, so they, they can do some fun things with social media, but it wouldn't be that crazy different. What about cameras on players? Like on their shirt or on their forehead. There was that movie. I forget what it's called now. I've looked it up, but there was a movie a couple of years ago, uh, twenty sixteen. It came out in the spring of twenty sixteen because I saw I saw I saw when we went to Salt Lake away when I went with Will and um, Sean, where they filmed the whole movie like that. Oh, and I had to leave after half an hour because I was going to be nauseous because of because of the movement of the camera with the camera they literally had a GoPro or obviously better than a GoPro they had a camera strapped to the, the main character's chest and that the whole movie was that angle yeah I, I mean you could only watch that for very small snippets I mean like yeah. going way back to like Blair Witch Project I remember I saw that in the cinema right and I was like whoa it's... it was cool once right yeah 
But then things have moved on. But I, I genuinely could see them like miking up the players, mic or putting cameras on the players as well. If they did open up the dressing room to someone like Mark DeSantos, you need somebody there on the the swear machine to to beep him out pretty quickly. I think. <laughs> yeah, broadcasters can have a seven second delay for that, right? Yeah, there's going to be all these apologies to American viewers. Like, we're sorry for the words that you heard there. It's like it always makes me laugh when you're watching boxing and there's a guy sitting in the corner and his eyes swollen, he's cut open, there's blood pouring from him and his his cornerman swears and the commentator's like, we're really sorry if you were offended by that. It's like, this guy's near death. And he, he dropped an F-bomb and that's apparently really bad? <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, every culture has their, their things that they hold up as being worse than others, right? Yeah. But I mean, I, I mean, I was thinking how else it, things could be different, and I, I just think it could, yeah, be a lot more involvement and just a, opening up areas that you haven't seen for the games themselves. I hope they don't mess about too much with it because football is a simple game to be played. It should be a simple game to be filmed. A few years back, when they started pissing about experimenting with all these different camera angles, like. Nothing annoys me more than if you're watching a game and you're watching an angle and then from out of the blue, they suddenly cut to another angle and yeah. you have to readjust your eyes as to where's the ball, what's happened? Yeah. I don't want to see stuff like that either. But I don't know. I, I agree with you on that. I'm just old-fashioned. But we'll see what happens. I, I mean, there's absolutely, in my mind, no way that you're going to have fans in attendance barring some kind of miraculous avoidance of second waves or some city being so free of it that you you can pack folk into a stadium somewhere or maybe buy an island and do stuff in the island like the UFC want to do. But I mean, I just can't see fans being back. And we talked last week about season ticket money getting taken. Whitecap CEO Mark Panis was asked about that on Twitter this week and He's, he addressed fans and said, look, they can contact the club to defer payments or discuss their own circumstances. Some have already done that. He said the MLS, though, are still saying that they're looking at playing a full season. And until they say otherwise, then they take the payments. And for me, it's ridiculous that the league needs to be way more realistic in this. Yeah, they don't really look so good. You know, there's a lot of companies that, you know, that you see their actions are backing up their words quite well in terms of their caring for people in these things and deferring payments or, you know, whatever. But, uh, yeah, like, this one doesn't look so good on them. Yeah. As as a league as a whole. And so it's good that Panis has been others saying, look, if you have, if you want, we don't have a blanket thing for this, but if you have, if you are, if you're concerned about your setup, give us a call and we'll work through it. That's good for the Whitecaps from MLS as a league. It, does, it doesn't look good. No. To say, yeah, we're going to take your money, or we're going to hold your money, or well, that that's, we're as we talked about your money, or we're going to keep taking your payments if you're on the payment plan or whatever. Like it doesn't, yeah. doesn't. Well, that's what we talked about before. It's like, will they refund that money, or will they just say, "Oh, it's okay, we'll carry that on to next year. You won't have to worry about that." Oh, well, but that's the thing is, that, oh, the, I mean, that, that's what they're going to want to do, <clears throat> but not everyone's going to be able to do that. Right? No, like, I mean, folk are needing money now. Yeah, some people are like literally. And it's, I mean, going to a sporting event's a luxury. And we, we've talked about this before. 
what will it look like in the future when folk reassess their finances, reassess their priorities, and it's like, do they want to go and spend that money? Because if something like this happens again, I'm pretty sure people might be thinking, you know what, we need a bit of a safety net, we need to get some savings behind us, which so many people don't have nowadays, especially in an area like Vancouver where things are so expensive that I, folk might re- just reassess their values and, and what they're going to spend their money on. So it's going to be interesting for sport, especially the prices. Like NFL games, I know it's completely different from MLS, but the ticket prices for just individual matches are kind of obscene for that. And yeah, if they start packing stadiums again, I'll be amazed. Well, yeah, there's also going to be a segment of the population, too, who's probably going to avoid large gatherings for a while, yeah. too, right? Like, I mean, I will. It's one thing to say, hey, everything's open, or go go nuts, or whatever, but there are going to be people who are going to be like, yeah, I'm not, I'll wait, I'll wait a month to see how this plays out. Yeah. Now, the USL commissioner, Jake Edwards, he's still targeting July as getting the league back up and running. I, I mean, that's maybe a bit more realistic than looking at coming back in June, but even July seems so far away. You'd still be looking at closed-door games. It would rule out, for example, League 2 because all the college players would be back. Championship and League 1 could be played if it came back in July or August, but a number of clubs there are saying that they have no appetite for coming back if there's no fans because so much of their income is generated. I think it was worked out it was about 75% of their income comes from attendances, sponsorship, and fans buying merchandise, etc. So you lose all that, because a lot of sponsors won't want to sponsor if there's no fans there. You lose that, you lose all that income. It's not worth them coming back. It's actually probably more beneficial for them to shut up shop for the season. So I genuinely don't think there will be a USL season this this season, as an example. Yeah, it's going to be hard to see what happens at that level, right? Especially because it's not like the, the Canadian, it's not the same as the Canadian Premier League because Canadian Premier League is, their size makes them nimble, right? Yeah. It makes them be able to uh, probably go, I mean, the size of the country doesn't help, but the size of the league uh, should make them, make it more easy to, to come to a decision and, and get everyone on the same page, all that kind of stuff. The USL, their divisions are quite large and other than their, a bunch of them are done regionally as well, right? So yeah, it, 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 uh, yeah, it's I, I can't see the whole the whole of USL, whatever was supposed to be in twenty twenty. I can't see all all those teams t- taking part. No, and I mean the USL as well. It's so weird because you've got such a difference in attendances. You've got the likes of Sacramento and like India live in that they draw five figure crowds, and then you've got other teams that just struggle to draw four figures. So. Yeah, and there's a few teams as well, like Alan Koch's Colorado Springs Switchbacks. They're in the middle of building a brand new stadium. Sacramento's building their MLS stadium. You have to wonder how this is going to affect all those kind of things. Is Alan down in Colorado right now? Yep, him. He's down there. His wife's down there with him as well. And Colorado's one of the states that's been lifting restrictions, so they might actually get back to, to training soon. I've well, I've got I, Alan... I didn't know they were lifting restrictions. I saw their protests, and I didn't see Alan there, so... Yeah, well, we're going to have Alan on the show in the, the coming weeks. We've I've been chatting to him, so we're going to have him on the show. So we can ask him what, what his views are on all that. But, I mean, it's going to be interesting. CPL, I've, I've seen some folk, and I don't know if this is just like pie in the sky or where this even came from. They even talked about it in the, 
the one soccer chat that they they had with with Marcel de Jong on Friday, that Victoria could be a place that hosts closed door CPL games, which mm. I mean it would be great in a way. I don't think we might be able to get to the games. I don't know if I would want to, but it's also a stadium that it's not the most closed stadium. So if fans did want to go along, I'm sure they could find a way to get along. But, I mean, have you heard anything like that? Or is that just... No, I, I haven't heard any of that. Maybe it's just wishful thinking. But, yeah, I mean, we've got the climate here and we're doing... You have the climate and you're, you're, you just get everyone on an island, so... Yeah. Fly in, don't get the ferry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, last thing for, for this part of staying at home with Joe. A disturbing treat tweet I found from Washington Post's Steve Goff on Friday, who he said he'd heard that the NWSL players were being told to report to their teams on May 16th to start training camps. The moratorium has been until May 15th and that they're aiming to start the season the last weekend of June. Now, I think that's crazy. Border, I don't know how that comes into it. Do sports people, are they classed as an essential traveller? Can they get over the border? You've got all those things for like the Canadian players, but I mean that again. We've talked about things being too soon. That just feels too soon. Yeah, especially because they're all across the states, right? Yeah, and so it's like different states have different plans for when they're going to open up what parts of their society, right? So yeah, and I know you'll have folk listening to this, maybe screaming at their devices going but we we have to start opening things back up we can't just keep being closed and I, I do get that but you can't rush into things and I just wish there was a bit more patience all round like personally what I would have said to all these football leagues is right we don't play any more games this is like the European ones we don't play any more games until February or March next year and you just resume the 1920 season as the 19 to 21 season and then you, you've got that same time period to finish the seasons. That would be great, except for the, the clubs. The problem is the finances. But yeah. Finances and contracts could I be an issue. That, yeah. that would be, there, in some ways, that, that would be ideal. And and would relieve probably a lot of stress for most of the people, especially with UEFA's whole, hey, your contract is automatically. Yeah. Thing, right? like, well, if everyone would know where they stood as well, and it wouldn't just yeah. be this constant, oh, is it going to come back? Oh, it's been postponed for another two weeks or another month. And it's like everyone would just know, okay, it's coming back this date, barring things going horribly over the next few months. And it just gives society and people just a chance to recover, rest, and get this under control. But would that be too also too discouraging to say, hey, 10 months? May, well, maybe, because... Society's not coming back for 10 months. Yeah, I mean, it is... Uh, I mean, we're going to talk about mental health uh, in next week's show, but, I mean, that is a, an aspect of all of this, that some people do need the hope that things are going to come back sooner rather than later. And for some people, if they're told 10 months, that could push them over the edge. It could be their breaking point. And I, I do think that's why some of the governments are, are doing this on a gradual basis, because they're worried how some people might react to it being longer than this. It's finding the fine balance and the happy medium and there's no easy answers. And just I just think the uncertainty about everything is one of the worst aspects of this. Just to get into a serious discussion for a bit, it's like people want to know stuff and you can't give them answers. And when people 
when there are no answers, that's when there's fear and there's panic and there's anxiety and there's uncertainty. Yeah, no, it, it definitely is this strange time where you go from conversations of certain parts of society opening up at the beginning of May to it's going to be 16 to 18 months, right? Like, yeah. it's such a wide variety, right? And Yeah, and it's like no one knows what the new normal is going to be. Yeah, well, I mean, like, if, genuinely, again. yeah, I, I was saying to, to Caitlin this week, I don't know when, like, the three of us will get back together in person. Because yeah. you don't know, like, even if they said, okay, you can be in small gatherings of five or ten, would you want to drive from Abbotsford to UBC to record a, a show in a small studio? And I don't know that that would really be sensible. Well, the drive, I miss the drive, <laughs> but I, I don't mind the drive. It's more, it's more using a, a, a using a facility that who know, we don't know who else is using it. Oh yeah, how, like unless there were very clear standards on how it was cleaned after each use, you know, like that's that would be about bigger. Well, yeah, and it's like we finish our show at like one one thirty. Do we have time to clean a, a station after things like that? It's like no. Well, that's the thing. And then are we the ones who would be responsible? Or yeah. Is there, would there have to be some more? someone with more qualifications. Well, yeah. If you see the state of my house just now, I don't think you'd want me cleaning anything. (laughs) The pro programs for everyone, everywhere. (laughs) Anyway, didn't really want to be a downer, so we'll, we'll move on from that. Zach will be joining us later in the show for some more stuff that we're going to talk about, but we're going to round off this part just now with a look at the league that is still going just now, the Belarusian Premier League... And a fantastic weekend for my beloved FK Slutsk. We love our Slutsk, the greatest team in Belarus. We love our Slutsk, FK Slutsk. And what a weekend it has been for FK Slutsk. Headed into this weekend's matches, joint top of the Belarus Premier Division, Finished it, still in first place, but this time with sole possession of it. So let's go at home to Belshina Bobruisk on Sunday morning. And what a barn burner of a match they were involved with, with the bottom of the table side. Once again, they made things difficult for themselves. It looked like they were home and dry, not for the first time this season, only to get sloppy at the back and just let their opponents back into this game. Slutsk had the best of the early running and took their lead in the 20th minute. Umar Bala Mohamed made it two goals in two games with a close-range finish, following a delightful little backflip from Artem Serdyuk. 15 minutes later, and it was Serdyuk himself who got on the score sheet, firing home from inside the box to make it 2-0 to Slutsk. They couldn't manage to hold on till half-time though, and with a minute off the first half remaining, Leonid Kovai tied things up for Belshina in the 44th minute. Very fortunate goal. Suleimani Koana was trying to clear the ball out of the Sluts box and it bounced off the chest of Kovel, setting him up with a chance to fire home. And he did just that, firing past Boris Pankratov, making it 2-1 as they went into the half. And things were to get better for Belshina at the start of the second half, as Pavel Bordikov made it 2 all in the 52nd minute. And after that, Sluts kind of went to pieces a little bit, especially at the back, showing a lot of defensive frailty. And Belshina really should have taken the lead. They had a number of chances to do that. 
Pragatov came up with a number of good saves yet again to keep Slutskin in this match. Managed to keep the scores level at 2 all, and it looked like that might be how the game was going to finish. Then five minutes from time, Nikita Rotchev saw a second yellow card for Belshina, got sent off, swung the advantage back to the home side, and Sluts took full advantage of that three minutes later. Umar Balamahama getting his second of the game, running in on goal, firing home, sending the crowd wild, sending me wild as well here in my Vancouver living room as I was getting off my couch screaming, Come on, you sluts! Which I'm not quite sure what my neighbours would have made of, but a fantastic 3-2 win in the end. As I said, gave sluts sole possession at the top of the Belarus Premier League by one point now over Isloch. And things looking good for Slots just now, but they really, really have to sort out that defensive side of things. Because, I mean, they're playing a, a poor team that didn't take their chances. Last week they had opponents that didn't take their chances. That's not going to continue as the season goes on and they're playing some of the better teams. Got to get that sorted out. Next up is Dynamo Minsk. Next up is Dynamo Minsk on Saturday evening. And we'll bring you the details of that in next week's show. Monislatsk! But that is it for this part of the show. We'll be back in part three with a chat with Marcel de Jong about the new Canadian Premier League Players Union. And that's coming up right after this. How's it going, guys? I'm Ben Fisk. You're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. What the hell's going on? Great Satan night. The sky's light up and black turns to white. Kids crying, dogs barking and run for the life. Tails between legs and the birds take flight up. People panicking or fools like a mannequin Packing up and driving Police with their sirens Looking up high and clubs break Strange flying things all over the place Is it the end of days? God, what do we do? Is it time to say goodbye to the human race? Make way, earth for civil military And they try to connect with pointless artillery The humans they shot first Has no effect on their mega structure I thought to try again when a noise occurs And they transmit a message back down to earth We are the aliens, the one that you've been searching for Asking that you change yourself before we shave the first for What evil in intentions and lack of earth for wisdom Subjects of the culture, they practice that Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show. That was this week's Scottish rap selection on the show, from July 2018 and Album 3, featuring Word SOS, Conscious Root and Steg G. That was Space Invaders. And I think that would probably cap off this coronavirus lockdown for everyone just now, if we end up getting invaded by some aliens from outer space. The way 2020 has gone so far, I wouldn't rule anything out really just now. But I'll tell you something that isn't alien in the world of football, and that is players' unions. Unless you are, of course, a Canadian footballer applying your trade here in Canada. Because according to the, the CPL bigwigs, the players wanting their own union seems like it's an alien concept to them, and it really shouldn't be. Because football leagues around the world, football players around the world, are protected and covered and given a voice by, by player unions. There's FIFPRO, the overall union for footballers around the world. I'm sure most folk have heard of the PFA in England. The MLSPA in North America for the MLS teams in Canada and America. But as we discussed in last week's show, the Canadian Premier League launched 2019 
the players did not have a union. And that was something that a number of the players started to address last year. And they set the ball rolling on that. Things have moved on quite a pace, really. Forced in part by the league's announcement on Easter Monday that they were going to defer 25% of the players' wages for this season without any notice to the players that this was going to happen. Not ideal, and one of a a number of situations that has happened in the, the early operations of the league that have kind of upset some of the players in the league. Now, we talked about this story on last week's show. The situation has kind of moved apace since then with the the players releasing their website, those in charge of the operation, doing a lot of media interviews and a lot more has come out about what the demands are and what they are looking to, to really achieve this year. The reaction from the league, especially Commissioner David Clanahan, has come across as very frosty. Some in the media don't seem very welcoming of the idea either. Namely, Kurt Larson of One Soccer, who, always worth reminding, did work for the league last year. But the general backing from the players, from the supporters of the players as well, has been overwhelmingly positive. With over 140 of the 159 CPL players ratifying the the need to kind of form a union. There's a big, big process ahead for that to happen. The league has to first recognise it. And if the league decide that they don't want to recognise it, then the union have to go and file a petition in each province, many of which are governed by different rules, to to have that union recognised in that province. So you're looking at getting it recognised just now in British Columbia, Alberta, Manitoba, Ontario, Nova Scotia, and if there's going to be teams coming in Quebec next year, in Quebec as well. Possibly even Saskatchewan. Set the ball rolling on those two provinces. So I'm sure many of you will have read and watched a lot of stuff about the, the union, some of you all have some more questions, just maybe wanting a bit more clarification. So I got a chance to speak to Can PFA president Marcel de Jong, former Whitecaps player, former Canadian national team player, currently plying his trade with Pacific FC over on the island. Just wanted to catch up with Marcel just to, to get some more of the ins and outs of the union explained, what their demands are, how this process has been undergoing and a lot more beside. So that's going to be our feature interview for this episode of the show. So sit back. Grab your favourite hot beverage, a chocolate digestive, and listen to the words of Can PFA president Marcel Rion. Uh, so I guess the the first thing really to ask you, Marcel, is I mean, how are are you and, and your family doing at this time over there in Victoria? Um, yeah, so far we're doing we're doing good. I mean, um, uh, yeah, we can't do much, so we're pretty much isolated. Uh, we go to uh, you know get our daily groceries or whatever, and, and that's pretty much it. So uh, we're not doing too much. Uh, daughter doesn't have to go to school, so she does a lot of homeschooling and all of that. So, uh, but she keeps us occupied, so that's that's good. <laughs> And I've been speaking to, to lots of players around MLS, around CPL. So, I mean, all, I know all the clubs are kind of doing lots of Zoom conferences and doing lots of fitness trainings and you've all got these things to, to, to do. But what's it like at Pacific? What kind of things are you focusing on in particular? Yeah, you know, we do a lot of uh, Zoom uh, meetings. We do like uh, the Pilates uh, online uh, through Zoom, which is good. We got our uh, our fitness coach who sends out uh, daily exercises uh, 
that we should uh, do. And uh, so we have to obviously uh, train on your own, uh, find a piece of grass or a trail or whatever, and uh, do your exercises because obviously um, we're in the middle of the preseason, so everybody has to kind of maintain that that fitness level. So uh, it's 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 a, it's a challenge, and I'm gonna not gonna lie, it's it's, it's tough, uh, obviously. But uh, I mean, you have to uh, you know be ready for when that 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 phone call comes, and you guys have to we have to come in and to train, and you have to be ready because we, who knows uh, when that's gonna be, and 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 how that that preseason is gonna look like, and so we need to be prepared for all uh, all scenarios. And I mean, the thing with Pacific FC in particular, it's such a young team. I mean, you, you're a veteran guy, you've got your family, but a lot of these guys, they're really young, it's their first professional club, they're away from their families. As one of the senior guys on the team, do you have you got a responsibility then to, to make sure that these guys are doing okay, especially really mental health-wise, and that they're able to cope okay? Yeah, we, 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 we're like lucky that uh, a lot of the young guys in our team, uh, they, they live together, so they can train together, they can keep themselves motivated. Okay. So uh, that, that's good. They, uh, they they challenge each other, apparently. So, uh, for example, if one player does run like eight kilometers, uh, the other guy wants to run nine, for example. So there's a little bit of a competition uh, in there. So they, they, they're doing okay. And uh, like I said, we do lots of Zoom meetings, uh, also, not only uh, about soccer, we, we, we go do Zoom meetings and, and then talk how we, to each other, like how they're doing and what they're, what they're up to and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's not only only uh, fitness or Pilates or, 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 or meetings about games or whatever. So it's also like about personal uh, stuff and issues. So uh, that's that's good, I think. I mean, that, that brings us on nicely, really, to the bulk of what we're going to talk about today, which is the, the new PFA Can Players Union. And I, I know, I mean, when folk think about unions, they immediately think about, like, trying to get more money and the possibility of, like, industrial action. And in a sports capacity, you always think collective bargaining. But a, a union, is, especially for athletes, it, it's much more important than that because it does focus on things like mental health and making sure that, that players have got planning for when they, they're no longer playing the game. And I mean, it's to me, I, I spoke to some players last year because we, we were wondering, was there some kind of union? And I was surprised that there hadn't actually been anything. But I mean, it isn't just about trying to get more money. It's all the other aspects that go with it. Exactly. We're especially not going for for, for more money uh, right off the bat. It's not, gonna, it's not our issue. I mean, we all know like when when players come to the CPL, they're not here to to make money, to get rich. It's here to develop uh, the players and, 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 and for their future. So that's why uh, we want to make sure, like like you said, like also like we want to put in some sort of um, education uh, process for where players uh, can also uh, work on their uh, potential uh, future after soccer or if, if, if soccer turns out not to be successful, they, they, they have something where they can, can, can uh, rely on uh, later on. So that's something we... We also want to provide for the players, and uh, yeah, like you said, it's 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 more than just 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 arguing for uh, for more money or like collective bargaining like that. So that's that's not what we're after. I mean, like uh, I think uh, we're pretty clear that that we're not going after that. That we all just we, we the main part for us right now is that we want to be heard. We want to have a voice, and and obviously there's stuff that happened on uh, Easter Monday where they 
with uh, 25% deferment. Uh, those things uh, we cannot just happen to us without any saying. You know, I'm not. I'm not saying that we would have prevented it because obviously that that that's, that that's not going to happen. But we just want to be involved in the process and not just um, you know be told the day off and an hour later it's already on the internet or online. So those things. So, I mean, the the voice is, is the important thing. And as you said, like this 25% deferral, I mean, it came as a, a complete shock to, to the players. But what was the mood like from from those that you spoke to when that got announced? Was it just complete shock? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, in the morning off, uh, we got an email uh, saying uh, this is a Zoom meeting uh, with the owners. So obviously... You know, we start to think like, what, 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 what could it be? Uh, maybe is the is the season going to start, or you know, like, and then all of a sudden it's uh, the twenty five percent deferment, which was uh, was a shock, obviously. But I mean, I think I, I speak for the most of the players. Like, we, we, we understand that that this is necessary to in order for the league to uh, you know sustain and and, and be uh, be healthy, and so we, we get it. Just, just uh, the way it was was for us. That was just not not the right way. Once that initial announcement w- was made, I mean, lots of people are going to think that the that the union just came out because of that announcement. But I mean, it's been in the works for a while. There had been lots of discussions sort of last year. When did things first start to to get serious w- with forming the union? When did the discussions kind of first take place? Um, so. Uh... Myself and and Issei Nakajima were, were talking about it uh, last season. Uh, just just obviously because you know I had a lot of time on my mind with with the injury, and uh, we, we were thinking, and uh, and uh, I, I, I was I was surprised that we didn't have anything, and I was like, hey, we, we definitely need something, but we never really never really um, took that to the next level. We just kept it uh, to ourselves, and uh, we we did talk to a couple guys here and there, but nothing. Nothing seriously. And then uh, a couple of weeks later, um, yeah, we got approached by uh, by Dan, and uh, yeah, he uh, we, we 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 met up, we we spoke briefly, and then we decided to meet up uh, because obviously uh, uh, this I knew this was something uh, you know the league needs to, to in order to uh, to grow, and uh, so we 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 we, uh, we we met up and uh, we had a great great conversation um, here in Victoria. And uh, we just decided right then, right there, that we we're gonna pursue this, and uh, because we both felt that this was this was uh, necessary that for for the league. And I mean, obviously, things you maybe hadn't planned to announce it just when you did, but with, with everything that happened with with the deferral, I mean, it obviously seemed like the right time to do it. And like reading JJ Adams' article in the Province, and then watching the the Google Hangout yesterday, the support that you've got from the players. From the 159 players, I mean, it's way over 140 players that are back in this, which must be really good to see. Yeah, extremely happy with that with those numbers. Obviously, we 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 won 100, percent but we know uh, that the circumstances are that some players are uh, still uh, abroad or have a language barrier that they uh, don't really understand, and we got a lot of, obviously a lot of foreigners in the in the league. So uh, with all that, we are really, really happy with those numbers. Um, and I think what I've heard that is um, that still numbers are still coming in, and uh, that uh, so yeah, we we're still waiting for a couple. But uh, 
end of the day, we're really happy with those numbers, and uh, that that shows that uh, everybody uh, feels the same way uh, about uh, having a union. And I think from from looking at the website as well and looking to see like who's involved, like you, you're the the president of the union, but looking at the, the other board of directors, it's all experienced guys, and a number of them having played overseas, like like Issy and like Ben Fisk and Tony Amiobi, and I mean guys like that. So I mean, from being overseas, you're used to having a union, you're used to seeing the the importance of of having a union. So I I, I guess you've just been sharing stories with the, the other players as to why it's important. Yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously, uh, you mentioned names that uh, that the guys were, were fortunate to play in Europe. And uh, and we all know in Europe, it's, it's just uh, it's a higher standard than everything. And uh, we just uh, we just experienced it in, a, in a, such a positive uh, experience. Uh, for me, for example, playing in Germany, uh, we know, uh, we knew that we would have, been looked after if, if you have any issues and uh, you just one one phone call or one email away from 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 support and that that's just something uh, that uh, yeah means a lot for a player when you're uh, facing uh, tough times when you're facing uh, problems with the club or problems, uh, facing mental health or or whatever you know so it's it's, it's no different than in, in the MLS and uh, so yeah obviously uh, we, we talked about that and uh, it's it's just a, a no-brainer for those guys. Uh, to, to try and form an, uh, form a an union and uh, yeah so uh, it's basically uh, that's basically it I guess and I mean it's fair to say the reaction from the league itself not necessarily the owners but the actual league and the, the commissioner it's it's not been welcoming it's been a little bit frosty I mean were you surprised or were you expecting that uh, no obviously uh, we uh, we have uh, Great, uh, great guys in our in our board uh, with our executive uh, director Dan Crook and uh, our legal counsel Paul Champ. And uh, obviously, we we, we we do our homework and uh, we we know the backgrounds of uh, of the owner and uh, we know where, where he's coming from. Uh, so we were not surprised at all. Are we happy with that reaction? No, not really. Obviously, but I mean, at the end of the day, yes, uh, he's looking out for the league and. Uh, uh, we are looking out for our players, so uh, everyone has the right to have an opinion. But will it stop us? No, it won't. And it, it comes across that they're just looking at the negatives and they're trying to paint the negatives off it, as opposed to seeing what, what positives, like what we've just discussed, what positives that a union can have. Exactly. So, I mean, I, I, I assume that they think the worst about us, but obviously, uh, like we all mentioned before, we're, we're not here to... To, to go after money, more money or whatever. We, we, right now, we just want to have a voice. We want to have a, like a direct line of communication with them. We just want to be, be heard and, and we want to discuss and be involved in the process of whatever decisions they want to make. And I think that's just only fair for, for the players like it's everywhere else in the, in the world. The thing as well with the CPL, I mean, if you're looking at the owners of the different clubs, they've all got varying degrees of football experience at Pacific you've got former players and Josh Simpson and Rob Friend you've got other people that are more business people and they've never really been involved in the game, they've never played the game they don't know what players go through is that going to make it difficult to try and get the owners on board because some of them are just going to be coming at it from businessmen and they've never they've never experienced the, the football side of it Yeah, I, I think 
think it would be make it would make it more difficult. But at the end of the day, uh, footballers or soccer players or footballers, however you want to call it, we're all all human. You know, like we all have feelings, we all have like problems, we all have issues. We're no we're no different than any other or whatever job they may have. So we're, we're no different. So I, I, yeah, it's, it's a tough question because I I know what what that we what we're doing is is the right thing. So it's just a matter of of, of convincing them or like changing their minds, I guess. But obviously, like you said, like owners like Rob and Josh, they, they, they've been around, they've been around the, the block. So they, they have experiences all over, all over Europe and in MLS and whatever. So they know how it is to have a union. And, and, and so they, they know what the value the uh, union can bring. So I, I just hope that these guys will also support us and have our backs and, and, and help us convince the other owners that I might have doubts or whatever they may have. And like to play devil's advocate for a minute, looking at it from the owner's point of view, some of the owners are, are going to say it's too early to do this. The league is just, it's not even kicked off year two. And none of these clubs are really making money just now. And a lot of the owners, when they've been got, get into this, they're maybe expecting not to make money for five or 10 years. So they're maybe going to be worried that in the current climate with no money coming in, that the the league could be at risk if the players and the owners kind of disagree. I mean, that's obviously a fine tightrope to walk, and it's a balancing act. You want to you want to have your voice, you want to have what's right and have your rights, but you also don't want this league to to fold and then not have any place to play. No, no, hundred percent, I agree. But what I what I would would say is that if they're not making uh, money or not in the next five years. That doesn't mean the, the issues that players may have right now are, are can wait. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, um, I myself, I got a serious injury last year, and I've been I've been taking care of the club. But obviously, if this what happened in, in MLS or in Europe or whatever, you 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 receive workers' comp, for example, or you know, like you get you get help. You can you can uh, you can like start working. Uh, uh, you can do like sign up for like an online classes, or you can like help educate yourself, or all those kinds of small, small uh, programs that are in, in, they can put in place for you. So like I'm, I know the the league is not making any money in the next couple of years or whatever, but doesn't mean that the problems are still they're, they're gonna wait also five years or six years or whatever right until yeah. they have money. That that, that doesn't you know that will work together. You know what I mean? The issues of the players. Are going to be there, but the league is going to grow and grow and grow. But until they make money, you know that uh, you know what you going for going at. Yeah, I so, mean, you know I mean, the the, there is possibly a concern though that if there is no football played this year, I mean, can the league survive? And I know that's not for you to get into just now, but I mean, it, it, it's a potential worry. And then there could be some owners that think, you know what, this just isn't worth the hassle, I'm just going to walk away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I understand, yeah, and obviously I, I, cannot, I cannot answer that, that question, if, if, they, if they're going to survive or not, but obviously if they're not going to survive, we, we would very much love to, to know that beforehand, and yeah. so we can, we can be, look after our, ourselves, and, and because obviously uh, a, lot of, a lot of guys, myself, have families to take care of, so we need to make the, take the proper... Uh, uh, precautions and measurements to, to in order to for us to to uh, to take care of your family. So uh, it's obviously uh, it's uh, it's, uh, 
it's a tough, tough situation the league is in. But um, so that that also I think it only confirmed more that that we need a players union because we want to be involved in, the, in this in this process. And like we said before, we're not here to for collective bargaining. We just want to be heard. We want to sit at the table, and we want to be involved in the process of whatever decision they may make. So if they decide uh, the league is going to fold, which I really, really don't hope. So, but we want to, want to, we don't want to hear it on Easter Monday saying, guys, the uh, league is over, for yeah. example. Oh, I mean, absolutely. And I mean, something which has come out, which like, folk like myself have maybe known for a while is some of the wages in the CPL. I mean, everyone, they think of footballers. They think, oh, really well-paid players because they're looking at what's happening in Europe. MLS, the, the salaries are released. CPL, it's always been quite a closely guarded secret. But if you've talked to some of the players, then you find out what they're paid. And a lot of them, they're, they're on under 30,000, which... When you're living in one of the most expensive provinces in all of Canada, it's hard to get get by in that. And I think that's maybe something that this has been really good to help fans understand. Look, these guys, some of them, they're not making much money at all. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, like I said before, if you go to the CPL at this stage of your career or at this stage of the CPL's uh, existence, you, you're not here to make money. You're just here to develop you as a player. And I think. I, I think it's really, really great that players are willing to to take that that uh, that risk or a chance to to prove themselves and hopefully make a move to a, a league or a higher league. And even even with knowing that players are not making any not much money, uh, not a you know not enough basically, and we're still not going for for more money. I mean, I think that's just that shows that we we are very understanding. Uh, just the last couple of things, the the long-term plans for the union. I know you, you've said several times yourself and Paul and then from speaking to Dan as well, collective bargaining, that's not what you're looking for right now. It's something that you are looking for down the line. But also down the line, you're hoping that this union can maybe involve some of the Canadian women players that, that are, are playing elsewhere, the national team players. H- have you had any talks with any of your your former national team players to, or teammates to, to see if there's an interest from them in joining such a thing? Uh, yeah, our, our plan is obviously uh, not just the CPL, uh, but, uh, you know, Canadian men's national team, Canadian's women's national team. We want uh, uh, League Ontario, uh, League Quebec, and, and even hopefully uh, BC. So we want everybody involved in, 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 our, in our union. And obviously, we we already started talks with uh, also the the women's. Uh, we had a good conversation with them, so I, I can't really say much more about that situation. But our intentions are that we want uh, everybody involved, men and women. And I, th- I think as well, anyone that watched the the one, one soccer hangout yesterday, listening to Paul talk about the the two roads that basically what can happen now, the the league can recognise the union because it's not going away and at some point they're going to have to recognise it or they can fight this and then it's going to end up in the courts, it's costing everyone money, it's not ideal, there's just going to be a lot of animosity. I mean, you have to just hope that common sense will prevail and if the league see that so many players want this, that they they will agree to this and it will be a smooth path and a, a smooth way forward. Yeah, of course, exactly. And obviously we, we, we want this to be... Uh... A mutual uh, decision to recognize us 
Um, the other thing is, if if not, and we have to go to every province um, to um, you know get approved. You know, it, it will become public, obviously. And you know, like 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 I said, you know, like people uh, people's problems, people's issues that we already know of that will be be public as well. And yeah, that's that's something you know the league can can afford. So hopefully they they understand that and they don't want to go that that way. So you know, hopefully we can all just together help uh, the CPL and Canada soccer in a good uh, in a harmony. Yeah, well, I mean, let's hope so. Let's also hope that we we see you on the pitch at some point this season. I know just now it's looking kind of tough to see what that might look like, but I mean, there's still a long way of the year to go. Thank you so much for your time today, Marcel. Stay safe over there and thanks for chatting. Perfect. Thank you very much and thanks for having me and uh, wish you all the best. Marcel de Jong talking all things can PFA there. And we're going to unpack a little bit of what he's been saying and just discussing about some of the reaction to the players' union from the past week from media, the league and supporters in the next part of tonight's show when we're rejoined by Zach. And we'll be back with that right after this. I'm David Edgar and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show. That was another number and our final number from our Artist of the Month for April, English band Art Brute. That was a song from their 2005 debut album Bang Bang Rock and Roll and that was Modern Art. I hope that made you want to rock out the way that Modern Art does to lead singer Eddie Argos. We'll be back with new Artist of the Month next week and I'm really looking forward to bringing you that selection for May. One of my favourite bands of all time is going to feature in, in that selection. I won't do any spoilers. We have played some of their songs over the years on the AFTN Soccer Show, but we've got five crackers coming up for you next month. And something else that we're going to bring you from next week's show is we're going to do the other musical parts that we do at the start of each part just a little bit differently. I thought... I'd make things a bit more interesting and 
We're going to try this out in the month of May, see if it works, see if it's popular with people, but we're, we're going to kind of play a, a little game, just for fun, no prizes or anything. But we'll have our four songs that introduce each section of the show. The start of part two will be our Artists of the Month. And then in parts three, four and five, they're going to be introduced by a song that's going to have some kind of connection through them. Now it could maybe be that it's all by the same band, the same subject matter, the same title, or something else that links the three songs. Your job is going to be to try and work out what it is. Now, you might, with most of these, work it out by the time we play the second song. So if that's the case, then we want you to work out what you think the third song might be. Got a few things in mind, I've been putting some stuff together, so we'll kick that off next week and, yeah, let me know if you enjoy it and we might keep it going for beyond the month of May. So just before the break there, we were speaking to Marcel de Jong just uh, about the setting up of the new Canadian Players Union. So just to kind of unpack a little bit of what he said and just to to delve a bit deeper into what we were talking about on last week's show, we've got Zach back on the the line there. And, I mean, Marcel talked there and in the the one soccer hangout as well, it was mentioned that the support of the players, it's 159 players in the league, and it was at 140, it's now just a little bit over that of the players that's supporting it. Some players still haven't done their electronic verification of yes or no yet. So, I mean, the one thing that we can certainly read into this is, if if nothing else, the players are, are certainly behind the need for there being a players' union. Yeah, the numbers sound like it's over 90%, so that's that's quite strong, strongly in favour of this. And we know now the, the makeup of the, the board of directors and it's all senior players. It's You've got the likes of Issey Nakajima that's on it, although right now he's like unattached. You've got Ben Fisk, you've got Kyle Porter, you've got Marco Carducci. And the vast majority of these guys have got experience overseas and they've got experience of knowing what what good uh, a union can do. And I've, I've got to say, full disclosure at, at this point as well, I, I come from a union background. I was a, a branch rep at my old work in Scotland for 15 years, and then I went on and worked for, for the union for a year. So I obviously believe fully in unions, and I, I believe that they are for the greater good. The players seem to think that as well. You've got guys that's going to be driving this, that have experience of it, there's still always going to be a little bit of suspicion, though, Zach. I mean, you, you get that, especially over here in North America. People don't like unions. They don't trust unions. And it's a lot of this is going to be kind of like the PR game of trying to, to get the perception that, look, this is here to give the players a voice. It's here to help the players. They're not here to disrupt the league. They're not here to derail the league. They they just basically want a voice and, and to, to be listened to, to iron out some of the, the issues that, that were behind the scenes in year one. I, my perception might be off, but I think a lot of people view like sports unions quite differently than other kinds of unions. Yeah. I know a lot of people who I think feel one way about sports unions and they probably feel a different way about other unions. You know, that's their prerogative. Um, I would agree with you that in terms of this is like, uh, if this is done well, that it is just, yeah, it is just that. It is, a voice for the players, uh, a collective voice for the players, which is uh, needed, I think, in in, in the long term for, for for the development of football players in Canada. 
Yeah, and as, as Marcel ended uh, our chat with mentioning there as well, like if they have to go through the, the provincial courts to get ratified, if the league doesn't approve them, well, first of all, it's going to cost both parties a, a lot of money. And that's something that I don't think either parties can really uh, afford just now. So, I mean, that's not ideal. You, you kind of hope common sense will prevail and the league will recognise it. And it's got the support of this amount of players. I, I think it would be foolish not to recognise it, but the union have made it clear if they're not recognised by the league, they are going to go through the courts to, to get legally ratified that way. Yeah, because it, it feels like for the players, there's not a lot a lot to lose. It's like, uh, I mean, assuming that the, the costs can be covered in some, some way, shape, or form, the legal costs or whatever, but like it's they're starting from ground zero. So in one sense, it feels like in one, they have nothing to lose, but maybe maybe I'm wrong with that. Cause, you know, they could be blacklisted, I guess, or whatever. But from the league's standpoint, again, as long as the players are not uh, there, like the players don't have a lot of leverage at this point in time. It does not feel like to me. And so, as long as they're not asking for crazy things, then I think the the owners would do well to really uh, have a good relationship with them and, and be at work with them to give them uh, a voice in this way. And so I, I would hope that they would be able to come to an agreement and be able to have this ratified and be able to move forward in unison and harmony for the betterment of the game in Canada. Uh, I would also be just concerned, like, it, this is just the season of life we're in. This, I think, would also just add to the negativity potentially towards the owners if, if if something doesn't isn't able to be worked out between the two sides outside of court, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and I mean we've spoken to players over the last year, and some of the stories that I've heard from from players that are still in the league, from some players that are no longer in the league, there, there's some stories to be told there. Marcel kind of hinted at that at, towards the the end of our chat by saying that if things end up in court, these things which are private just now will have to, to become public. And obviously we're not going to go into to what these details are, but there, there's there been some alarming situations, some concerning situations, and I would think the league... I mean, yeah, you're not wanting to try and blackmail them by saying, well, if you go to the courts, then all this is going to come out. But there are some things that I'm pretty sure the league will will not want the, the general fan base to know about yeah, the league as a whole and probably some like owners or executives in particular I'm guessing um, yeah yeah you don't you don't want to air your dirty laundry as much as as possible right and that's why you want the two sides to come together to be able to move forward for the betterment of Canadian football we, like the league doesn't need the league as a whole like for the, the development of football in Canada we don't need black eyes we need we need harmony we need unison we need we need thing we need people to like we said at the beginning of this whole thing we need people to put down their in one sense put down some of their own personal desires to help the greater good of the game move forward in canada and so this is i think maybe one of the examples where there's going to need to be some give and take on both sides to help them help everyone move forward yeah and i, I think it, it will happen. I, I just think the way that it's kind of played out this week. I mean, I, I've been concerned at, at some of the tones. We talked last week about the, the f- former 
executive of the CPL, Paul Byrne, about his tweet. And then he backtracked on that and took that down and, and apologised for, for the tone, as we talked about. But I mean, I thought the tone from Kurt Larson and the one soccer hangout chat that they had was quite poor. Now, it, it came across to me that he was asking questions on behalf of the league. And I've no proof that that was the case, but I mean, that that's just how it felt. And it makes sense. He did used to work for the league. And I had a, a brief Twitter exchange with Oliver Platt about this, and he said, well, Kurt's just doing his job as a journalist to ask those tough questions. And yeah, he is. And I, I probably gave Marcel quite an easy ride in, in our chat there. I'm, I readily admit that. But it, it's all about, if you're going to ask those questions, it's the tone that you ask them. And it was a very aggressive tone, a very dismissive tone. It was like he was trying to provoke an argument. And I thought Paul Champ and Marcel de Jong did so well to, to keep their cool in that and just answer coolly, calmly, and just address the issues. And if anything, anyone watching that that was on the fence fan-wise, I think will have been swayed over to, oh yeah, they're they're very reasonable. I'm not surprised that Marcel, some of his answers were shorter. Um, yeah, I think we come up with a new thing, Michael. I think we need to have an AFTN jar, and anytime you mention that guy's name, yeah, it has to go into the jar, even if it's just to buy Steve chocolate. Yes. Uh, may he rest in peace. I, I actually got a message from a guy wanting to know where I had hidden Steve's body, but I, obviously <laughs> I, I could not share that. As an aside, though, I had a tasty Indian meal this weekend. Anyway, moving on. Now, I mean, the thing with this as well is people think, and I talked to Marcel about this, that it's all about money, it's all about salaries. And the, the union have made it clear that they're not looking for collective bargaining right away. They know the league is in its early stages. They've also addressed the fact that they don't want the the league to wrap up, the league to, to end because of financial difficulties possibly caused by them. And they've got no plans at all to, to query this 25% deferment. I mean, the players might not be happy about it, and especially the way that they found out about it, but they know it's something that is needed for the league and the teams just now. So that's not something that's on the table at all. They just want a voice. They want to be part of the discussion so that, as Marcel said there, they don't get a, an email on an Easter Monday morning saying, oh, you need to be on a conference call shortly, and then they drop this big bombshell news because people have to plan financially. They've got families, some of them. They've got responsibilities and commitments. And I mean, the union's also wanting to look after the physical health of the players, the mental health of the players, and also the financial health of them once they stop playing retirement options, investment options, stuff like that. That is all for the greater good of the players and the game. And right now, it's for CPL players, but they are looking to expand that. They want it to be all paid Canadian players that play in Canada. So that's like CPL. Maybe, well, probably not MLS because it's governed elsewhere, but you've got like League One Ontario. You've got the Quebec League for players that might be paid there. If there's any players paid in the new uh, BC League One, but also they're looking at national team men and women. And as Marcel said, they've had chats with some of the, the women players just now. And he couldn't go into that, but I mean, it all looks positive. I mean, ideally, in the grand scheme of things, you would maybe have a just a one North American union that covered all professional soccer in the continent of North America. But until that exists, these Canadian players need that and they need a voice. And I just think it's good that it's going to encompass men, women and just everyone that needs this. Yeah, 
it's it's one of the pieces of the Canadian football development puzzle that that needs to be there in the in the long term. And yeah, I know there's some people who think maybe this is a little bit too early, as we've talked about before. But I think as long as it's done in the right way now, it can be a good thing. Like even like you're saying, like they're not they're one of their primary objectives in the in the short term is not a collective bargaining agreement. That would be something that would be down the road, which it's probably better for the health of the, the league financially as it continues to grow and develop and move out of this kind of infancy kind of phase. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's, I really just hope that, that uh, calm and sensible uh, heads and minds can come around this from both sides and, and get done what, what needs to get done so that we can, we can move forward. And I mean, we'll just end this section by looking at what could be the big elephant in the room, which is the actual financial state of the league. Now, we know that they're not making money. The teams are not making money. These are teams, it's much like the, the USL teams down in 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 America that, that we talked about in part two. These are teams that rely so much on, on gate receipt, sponsor money, like merchandise sales. So they've got all this taken away from them just now. These are not rich, rich owners. You're not talking about billionaires. I mean, some of them are quite well off and they are millionaires, but you're not talking the kind of big money men that own some of the MLS teams. The league is only in its second year. They've not got a big money deal from One Soccer, which is a 10-year deal. They've not got big broadcast deals. So money is going to be tight. It's tough for any new business, whether it's a sporting business or not. The longer this goes on, the longer games can't get played, the longer these teams can't get money in, there is a chance that the league could be in peril. And you could have some of the owners thinking, look, if the players are going to start going on like this, it's not going to be worth our our hassle and they might walk away. Now, that might seem far-fetched, and it probably is, because they have invested a lot of time and a lot of money, but it isn't too unreasonable or a stretch to think this league could really, really struggle this year and next year, depending on what happens with getting fans back at matches. And that, that that how that's going to play out in the whole footballing landscape in North America is going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, you talked earlier about the, the Google Hangout that the league had about this union issue, which was not, you know, I don't think loved by too many people who were on it. Um, but uh, my understanding is that both Cavalry and Halifax had their own team gatherings uh, online this week. And I heard uh, from some of the people who are... Uh, closer to things over on the on the other coast that um, Derek Martin from Halifax has publicly said that like yes this year is obviously not good for them but this year is not going to wipe them out in any way shape or form well that's good. Uh, and I think he was not speaking just solely about Halifax I mean, he was actually speaking about the league as a whole so trying to instill I think you know uh, 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 confidence and assurance to you know to people but um that's the well. That's I think the first kind of word like that I've heard from someone from someone I trust. So uh, I don't. Yeah, who knows how what the impacts are going to be? But I don't think this is going to wipe them out. And so yeah. So hopefully that hopefully this this whole unit issue won't be an issue. It'll it'll one day we'll be able to look back on this and it'll be like oh yeah, this was just a part of the the growing pains that 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 the league was going through that that it needed to. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I mean, that sounds certainly encouraging what you've just said there. And 
We'll see how this plays out. As I said, hopefully common sense will prevail. And as Marcel said, look, we're human beings. We just want to, to have a voice. We just want to have our rights protected and to, to be taken care of. And I, I find it hard that anyone could argue with that. But I'm sure this is going to be a, a subject that we'll cover in the weeks and the months to come. So we'll move on from that now. And it brings us nicely now to this week's Wavelength. Just a reminder, if you're a new listener to the show, Wavelength is our section of the show where we're going to bring you a song all about football. Could be from a band, could be from a player or a team. Could be good, could be a little bit ropey. We like to think that they're all good in their own special, unique way. The one thing that unites them all is that they're all songs about football. And for this week's Wavelength, we're going back to the year 2000. And a song from the Liverpool band, Space. Now, I'm not sure how many of you have ever heard of the the band Space. They were fairly big in the UK in the late 90s. From having a quick look, it didn't look like they had made too much of an impact over here in North America. Their most famous song was probably one called Female of the Species. They also had one called Me and You Versus the World and Neighbourhood, all from their debut album Spiders in 1996. Now, they were set to release their third album in the year 2000, called Love You More Than Football. But the band were never happy with how it sounded and the production and everything like that, so the album was actually shelved and never came out in its own right, eventually being released in 2019 as part of the band's anthology box set. But the song that we're bringing you tonight is actually the title track from that album, I Love You More Than Football.
That was Liverpool band Space there with the title track of their never-released third album, I Love You More Than Football. Certainly a phrase that if you were to, to utter that to your significant other, would certainly get you in their good books. Whether you mean that, of course, is a whole other thing completely. Do I love my wife more than football? Let's just plead the fifth in that, because she might be listening to me record this show. Do you love your partner more than football? Let us know on Twitter at AFTN Canada, or let us know the other things that you love more than football. And we'll be back with the final part of this episode after this. Hey, it's Marco Bustos. You're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. That was what I feel is the best band to ever come out of Wales, Super Furry Animals, a song called Guacamole. That was a B-side to their 1996 single, If You Don't Want Me To Destroy You, and can also be found on their Rarities and B-side album, Outspaced. That's a song that it pops into my head so much over the years, and then once it gets in my head, I just can't get it out. The reason it's always in my head is that we have a lot of guacamole and it's like whenever we have guacamole, if we're outside at a restaurant, when you could go outside to a restaurant and you got guacamole delivered, this song always pops in my head and I'll always find my, myself singing it. And we had some guacamole this week when we had some food delivered from a, a Mexican place on Tuesday, so since then that song has been in my head. So I thought we'd play it to try and get it out of my head and into yours, but... Obviously, I've just been playing it again, so now it's back in my head. I think it's also kind of fitting as well because it's talking about sleep deprivation. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but my sleep patterns are all over the shop just now. Usually, if I have a, a spell of time at home where I haven't been working between shifts or whatever, my sleep pattern does go out the window a little bit. But now, yeah, it's, it's just been crazy in these times. I'm going to bed late. I'm waking up still early at times, I'm having lots of afternoon naps, it's just, yeah, sleep deprivation certainly driving me and I'm sure a few others insane. I think at this time something that is important is just to kind of have a a little bit of normality in your life, that's what we always talk about in this show, that's why we're keeping doing this show and bringing you football things to, to talk about. One of the things which we've decided to do is Partly it helps us know what day of the week it is, but we've set ourselves a a fun little kind of food menu that we're trying to stick to as much as possible. I love alliteration, so we've gone with Meatless Mondays, Tortilla Tuesdays, hence the guacamole, Wings Wednesday, which is basically us just eating something that involves a protein that has wings. Tomato Thursday, open up the, the fun pasta or pizza option, which, with me loving pizza so much, has so far just been pizza. Fish Friday. Self-explanatory, that one. 
and skip the dishes Saturday and Sunday. Not necessarily ordering from skip the dishes, but we're going to get some kind of takeout food, meaning that we're going to skip the dishes, order way too much, have it for leftovers the next day. What can go wrong with that, apart from having too much salt and sugar in your diet? Or as I like to call it, being Scottish. But like I said, that's kind of our new normal. And I think something else that is going to be the new normal for the the coming months going into next year already is, and that's face masks. A lot of countries around the world that have started to lift restrictions from the virus are making it compulsory to go outside for shopping or on on public transit by by wearing face masks. So we know that they've been in short demand, especially the, the N95 ones. A lot of people have been following tutorials online to to make some of their own at home. My wife did one and it's actually turned out really great. Using a a coffee filter in it to help with the the breathing and the the protection aspect. And she made one and it turned out fantastic. And I'm sure most of you listening to this show will have seen the Whitecaps initiative this week with Vancouver Aquarium producing a range of four different face masks to try and fundraise some money for the threatened local landmark. It's an institution that's a much beloved institution in Vancouver. I know a lot of people are not fans of things like aquariums and zoos. I've always loved Vancouver Aquarium. When I made my first visit to Vancouver in 2001, that was one of the the first things I did as I had a trip to Stanley Park and the aquarium. One of the first places I went to what was to, to prove to be my wife to be Caitlin. So it holds a special place in our heart. When I moved here in 2007, we were members for a number of years. Went through a spell of going on Christmas Day as well. as kind of like a little tradition that we had introduced. But it was just getting busier and busier on Christmas Day. So we kind of stopped doing that. But it's always a fun place to go. Very much under threat at the moment. They've revealed that to really keep afloat and to kind of stave off bankruptcy, they need to raise about a million dollars a month. Whitecap CEO Mark Panis had read about that. The aquarium is something that he knows how important it is to the city of Vancouver. So he got together with the Whitecaps and the aquarium to, to come up with a range of face masks, ranging from $17.99 for the kids' sizes to $19.99 for the adult sizes. As I mentioned, it comes in four different designs and you can get it on the Van Aqua shop. Head along to the aquarium's website and check that out. I know a lot of you already have done that. The website has crashed a couple of times over the weekend. The the demand has been massive. It was announced at 7am on Friday morning. By 10am, nearly 3,000 masks had been sold. And at the time of recording this section for the show, I think we're approaching the 50,000 mark. So it's been a tremendous effort by the Whitecaps, by the Aquarium and all you people out there that are supporting the initiative. So I just want to play you a little bit from a a conference call that I attended on Friday morning just talking about this initiative. Mark Panis on the call explaining how the Whitecaps came up with it. You're also going to hear from Lassa Gustafsson, the CEO and President of Oceanwise who, who run the Aquarium here in Vancouver. So play a little bit of chat from that call with some questions from myself and TSN's Corey Basso. And then we'll be back with Zach after it just to chat a little bit more about it. I think in my 30 years of uh, of working for sports teams and, and reaching out to the community, this is far and away the most important initiative I've ever been involved in. Last Thursday, 
uh, in the morning, um, I read the first reports that the Vancouver Aquarium was uh, in financial distress. It closed its stores because of the COVID-19 crisis, because it was trying to prevent the spread. Uh, so doing, you know, it's, it's noble, noble job as a, as a civic asset um, to protect the community. And then, uh, and then it was in danger of potentially permanently closing its doors. Everyone knows how busy things are right now. It's just a crazy period. The day stretched on and we have um, every day at 4.30, we have a department heads uh, conference call and we talked about it and, uh, at, right at the end at about 5.50. And as we, we were hanging up, I just said, you know what? We can help here. We, we can really lend the muscle that a sports team has across its communication platforms, its sales and service platforms, its design and digital assets and marketing platforms. So uh, I reached out to uh, a supplier, a uh, company that, that creates masks and just asked him if it was possible to create face masks. He gave me an affirmative uh, response. And then uh, I, through the magic of LinkedIn, I, I reached out to Lassigos and the CEO of, of the aquarium. And by 5.45, we had a phone call. The next morning at 11.30, we had a call where we had assembled our two uh, respective uh, teams to form a working group. Uh, and here we are, uh, a week later, um, we've already sold, it just in, just with word leaking out this morning, we've already sold almost 2,500 masks. And um, all the net proceeds from the masks go to, uh, to support the aquarium on its uh, no, noble mission. I mean, uh, I'm, a, I'm a kid at heart, right? And I think we all are to some degree. And every kid loves the aquarium. And, uh, and we need to embrace it and the, the noble work it does. So... I'm only here to say we're supporting. This is about the aquarium, so please, you can welcome Lassa. I'm a, I'm a kid at heart. I'm also a soccer supporter. Normally, I would support my old club back in Sweden, but today I'm a Whitecaps fan for sure. The aquarium has been open since 1956, 365 days a year. Not anymore. On the 17th of March, we closed the doors to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Obviously, the right thing to do from a health point of view. But by doing that, we lost 85% of our revenue. And unlike many other uh, cultural institutions, we can't just switch off the light, lock the doors and go home. In the aquarium, of course, we have animals. We have 70,000 animals, otters, penguins, sea lions, fur seals, tons of different fish. They all need good care. We are providing world-class animal care in the aquarium. It comes at the price. We've been cut all costs that we could possibly cut in the last couple of weeks, including, unfortunately, laying off temporarily more than 60% of our staff. We do not compromise on animal welfare, but the price tag is more than a million dollar a month. So it's devastating to think about Vancouver without an aquarium. It's almost not possible to think about Vancouver without an aquarium. It's such an icon. And I'm saying that as a new Vancouverite. I've been here only 14 months. When I was living in Europe, I knew Vancouver Aquarium. It's got world-class reputation as one of the best aquariums in the world, one of the most loved aquariums in the world. And we know that because the support's been massive since we went out with our situation. The best phone call I've had this week was from Mark when he reached out and said, you know, Whitecaps, we would like to help. It's such an awesome thing to do. Here's a sports club not playing soccer. And they thinking about the aquarium? How good is that? It's really awesome. We're so, so grateful for the support we have from the Whitecaps team and from the public at large. 
We have supporters from more than 30 countries reaching out, but this is the most creative initiative so far. Uh, now we're just hoping that everybody will buy masks. Uh, many benefits for buying the mask, of course, you can protect yourself. You can also keep the N95 masks for the frontline workers. That's additional value. And on top of that, you can help save the aquarium. So go buy masks, one, five, a hundred, depending on who you are. Every dollar matters now. It's, it's weird months away from bankruptcy and we need a million dollar at least a month. And this initiative is awesome and you can do a lot of things to help us. Thank you. Bit of a double question for you guys, obviously, Mark, um, coming to Vancouver now and seeing what, what kind of the, the, the different things about the city are, obviously, um, the Vancouver Aquarium along with Science World are probably two of those, those kind of attractions that Vancouver is well known for, probably even heritage sites at this point. Just talk about the relationship that you guys have now built with the Aquarium, and is there any plans to reach out to any other um, Vancouver kind of companies slash attractions slash uh, places for similar types of things? And the same for you, Mr. Gustafsson, now that you've seen the Whitecaps reach out, you know that these kinds of things are possibilities, not only to keep yourself afloat, but to keep everybody safe and to bring the community together. Do you guys have any plans in the works as well to, to possibly branch out and have any other partnerships like this? You know, the amount of work we've done in a week as a combined entity, this work group has been so intensive. We're really just focused here on getting this initiative right. Our full attention and focus right now is on helping save the aquarium. It's such an important initiative. So that's where, that's where our focus is. Corey, thanks. That's, that is a great question. We've been fighting 24-7 since the 17th of March. We've been reaching out to all our supporters. We've had more than 40 million visitors since we opened. Uh, we've had 8,000 of them donating money uh, since last week. We're above $600,000 in income. This is a super creative initiative from the Whitecaps. And as I said, we're grateful. Obviously, that makes us think who else could help. But right now, we're focusing on getting those masks out to, to as many people as possible. Ultimately, though, I think we are going to survive with the support of, of the Whitecaps and their followers, our members. But also, we do expect, uh, and I'm optimistic, that we will receive some support from the governments, both provincial and federal. Because uh, as much as this is very, very valuable, a million dollar a month is a, is a big price tag. And... and uh, who knows how long this will continue. Dr. Bonnie Henry is, is talking that the restrictions on the number of people attending events, it looks like it could be in place for a number of months. If this situation was to go on till, say, the end of the year, I mean, what other ways can the aquarium look at, at doing raising money? Would you be maybe looking at putting on some virtual shows or like kind of closed doors shows that people can uh, kind of donate money to? Thanks, Michael. What we are doing right now is we're looking at a very careful opening of the aquarium. We don't know, of course, when that's going to be. Obviously, the density of, of no, the social distancing will continue to be important. So if you've been to Vancouver Aquarium, it's the oldest and largest aquarium in Canada. It's also what's called a free flow. You can walk anywhere you like. There's not a track that you need to follow. We will have to change that. We will have to have some kind of track keeping very clear about who is moving where in the aquarium while they're visiting. We also don't know at this point what's the price that we can ask people to, to, to pay for. This new experience is going to be different and how many people can we keep in the building at the same time. Right now though we, we are launching and we're moving as much of our, so we have, a, we have the aquarium of course super important for us 
We also have an education program where we educate about half a million young Canadians a year. That's gone online. Uh, it was already online, but we're putting as much of our materials and training programs as we possibly can online. It's called Online Oceans. Uh, it's available uh, for free. A lot of the programs is for free, and some of it is for more the, the curriculum programs that are adapted to schools uh, comes at the price tag as well. But we're providing as much of, as, of the experience as we possibly can. Uh, and we, we, are, we are looking at all sorts of, of uh, new revenue streams. But of course, everybody's having a hard time now. We realize this is difficult times for almost everybody. Uh, this one's for Mr. Gustafsson. Just kind of a uh, off the top of my head kind of question here, just because I heard you and Mr. Panis talking about how we're all just kids and we've all had our, our stops at the aquarium and fractions like that as kids. Is there any particular animal in the aquarium that takes extra money to care for? I would assume bigger animals like dolphins, whales, that kind of thing. I haven't seen the exact list of all the animals you guys have there. I know you mentioned you guys had quite a few, but is there any animals that take extra special care that are, are, are potentially really in danger here during this kind of COVID crisis? Not, not just from a safety thing, but from a, a care perspective, you know, from your end? Yeah, none of the animals are in danger. They're very well taken care of. We have about 100 people working with the, with the animals in very clearly separated shifts. Nobody of our staff so far has caught the virus, so everybody's safe. If you think about expensive animals, uh, otters, we have, we have a number of rescued otters. They are very expensive. They eat what you eat on Christmas Eve or New Year's <laughs> Eve or whenever you celebrate. They eat oysters and mussels and the kind of stuff that we wish we could afford eating more often. So they are expensive. Uh, they're also our most loved animal and they're super cute. And we have them on a webcam if you want to go see an otter uh, from wherever you're keeping safe. That's still possible. Other animals like the sea, the sea lions are eating primarily. They are big animals, but they eat primarily herring, which is not so expensive. So it's not always the size that matters. Uh, I, I just, have, just have one thing to say, which is that we try to be very thoughtful in the program that, um, that we propose to the aquarium. We, we, uh, we have, you can imagine as a sports, uh, professional sports team, we have a fairly sophisticated, very sophisticated medical apparatus. Um, chief medical officer, we have outside consultants, like a, we have an infectious disease consultant, for example, um, so, and, and a number of others, uh, regarding orthopedics and so forth. So we consulted very closely with our group and what, what became clear to us was, was masks were gonna be something that were going to be part of the new normal for a considerable amount of time. So our proposing this to the aquarium was we were trying to provide something that would uh, deliver an ongoing uh, revenue stream uh, to the aquarium. And so, you know, I know this is a story today and, and really we can fade into the background on this. This is about saving the aquarium, but let's keep the aquarium top of mind if we can. Um, it's so important. So important the city of Vancouver. So that was Mark Panis and Lars Gustafsson just talking about the, the tie-up with the Whitecaps and Vancouver Aquarium and the, the face masks that, that were released this week. So just to chat a little bit about that to end the show, we've got Zach back on the line. And, I mean, we've criticised the Whitecaps a lot over the years for maybe not getting involved in the community. Some cynics might say, well, why, why are they getting involved in, in a fundraising thing? But as Mark talked about there... 
they just wanted to bring this to the attention and then the Whitecaps are looking to take a back seat in all of this. It's just Mark had this idea, he's triggered everything, he's got everything in motion and the sales have been phenomenal. I mean, you're looking at 50,000 plus sales already. The website has crashed twice due to the demand this weekend alone and it seems to have been really, really popular. I think it's a fantastic thing. As I said, as I introduced this section, I know some people... They don't like aquariums, they don't like zoos, animals in captivity, but it is a beloved institution, a beloved landmark of Vancouver, and it would just be so sad to to, to see it go bankrupt and have to close its doors. Yeah, um, I guess a couple of things. One, it's nice to see, uh, yeah, the Whitecaps have had this ongoing relationship with the aquarium, right? So this is like- yeah. Yeah, it's not totally a new thing. The blue, they've had a relationship before. They've done things before. They've named animal, animals there, I think, after the Whitecaps. Yeah. Um, there's been staff uh, who have gone from working at the Whitecaps to working at the aquarium, when, you know, not because of their partnership or anything. That's just how their the kind of life went. Is that what happened um, to Mustafa Jarju? No, Michael, that's not, no. Oh. Uh, so I, this is, it's nice to see them continue a kind of like a partnership, a relationship, a connection they've had in the past and to see, yeah, Panis, I guess, breathing new life into that in his leadership role. Um, to, I also kind of want to speak to the issue of the whole, yeah, this, for some people, this is a sensitive issue, right? Like, yeah. they don't like animals in captivity. They're worried about animal abuse and about uh, quality of life for the animals and all that kind of stuff. I think for me, like, I hold it, I, I hold the tension uh, there's there's a tension for me between that, like worrying about the actual well-being of these creatures, right, and the quality of life they have, and any you know any potential uh, things that could you know in, cause problems for that or whatever. But on the other hand, places like the aquarium and even the Greater Vancouver Zoo and good zoos in general, they are about um, conservation and they are about uh, helping. Uh, doing a lot of things like rescue. Like I know the aquarium yeah. is not much rescue stuff. I know the the uh, the zoo and 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 uh, Alder Grove. There's a whole bunch of rescue stuff. I know people who work there um, and stuff. And I've asked them lots of questions about this and like what you know quality of life and what what does this all look like and how what, how does this all play out. So for me, there's a tension between those two things, right? Like there is there are some animals that just need to be rescued. There are some animals that you know uh, with zoos around the world have helped from extinction and all that kind of stuff right like so there there's that kind of positive element on one side and then there's like yeah a, a legitimate concern on the other hand of like are, are these animals being actually being treated well so uh, i understand how you know people might want to fall on one side or the other of that but i kind of hold that tension in in kind of both hands and see that okay like there are yeah, potential pitfalls here so there's probably you know, hopefully good regulation around some of these things. And, and there is actually a purpose that these, these kind of places serve. So I personally, like, appreciate zoos and things like the aquarium. Uh, and I choose to, to see them in a good light, and the, the reading I've done on them and, the, and that kind of stuff. It's been, I've been impressed with the aquarium. Our family's been had membership there uh, for a year uh, not that long ago and, you know, visited there and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I hope that they can get saved. I know that they their whole setup got changed years ago, right, when they weren't kind of allowed to have whatever, orca whales or whatever kind of thing. Yeah. They changed their whole setup. Oh, oh, they're not allowed any cetaceans anymore. So, I mean, that that alone is going to have hit some of their, their footfall, I would have imagined. 
So I know they've had they've had to change, you know, how they do things and all that kind of stuff in the past. But they, yeah, I don't know. I've I've appreciated what they've done, and my experiences there have, uh, and the stuff I've read about how they do things has been positive. Um, and I, you know, trust that the people who are there are there because they love animals and are longing for them to have, uh, you know, as amazing a quality or as good a quality of life as possible, kind of thing. Yeah, great, good job on the Whitecaps for helping, you know. Uh, another local, you know, business out, and uh, again, this just to me is another feather in the cap of, of Panis. You know, his, his cap is growing quite large. Yeah, uh, with a lot of a lot of feathers. So, I mean, yeah, keep up the good work. Yeah, I mean, the, the initial response—it's been breathtaking, really. I mean, it's staggering how many people. I, I just hope they can make that many masks. Actually, that's—it's like it's kind of gone a little bit insane. But I mean, it, it's great to see, and it just shows you that the public really want to try and keep this open. Well, yeah, there's that. There's people want that. <laughs> people want. Oh well, yeah, there's that as well. And people wouldn't probably mind having a mask with the team that they appreciate. So. I'm going to set Caitlin to work making some AFTN ones for us. Oh, sweet. That would be great. She, I said in the introduction that she's, she had an attempt at making one and it turned out really well. Not an AFTN one, but just a general one. So I'll, I'll put her to work. I'd wear an AFTN one. Excellent. We'll get those made then. But I mean, yeah, from what you were saying, that I, I feel Vancouver Aquarium, they do a great job educationally wise for children as well. And they're oh, constantly... Yeah. Yeah, their, their conservation aspect and their rescue aspect, I mean, it, it's been fantastic. I've watched a lot of documentaries on it over the years. We've had memberships as well, and it's just, yeah, it's great. I hope they can keep it open. I think it's going to be tough. If they need that amount of money, a million dollars a month, when you think that the chances of having mass gatherings this year anywhere, I mean, it's looking slim. So it's, they're going to need all the help they can get. And they, they touched there in the, in the conference call that they might get some help from the government. But yeah, the longer this goes on, it's what we were talking about with football clubs earlier. It's like you just don't know how this is going to affect any business, really. Yeah, aside, kind of aside to this, this old, so the, you know, essentially uh, Bonnie Henry's come out and said, like, no, there won't be any mass gatherings this summer in the province. Like, can they not do stuff like they're doing it? Like, can you not do, like, for a place like the Aquarium or the Vancouver Whitecaps or whatever, can you not do a thing where it's like, hey, we can have 50 people come today? Yeah. And and, and you come in time slots of whatever, every 15 minutes, two people can go in or whatever, I don't know. Like, surely, like, I'm not not one of those people, like, we got to get the whole economy going right away or whatever. Like, I don't want anyone to lose their business or anything like that, obviously, but, like, when when the time is right for this all you know to happen, uh, like we sort of have been talking about with the different leagues wanting to open up around the world, like surely there are going to be ways that they can do do these right. Like so, like maybe the Whitecaps is not a good example because it's a sporting event you can put on TV, and hopefully they can make more money on it being on TV than they would normally because of the situation or whatever. But in terms of something like like this, like this the, the aquarium. It, to me, it's almost like a store, right? Where can you? Yeah. We're, we're allowing all these people to go to the grocery store, which the essential items are obviously a different scenario. But as you're going to reopen things, could it not be like, you know, a certain amount of people at a certain time you go and you you, you have your time slot? Yeah. And yeah, that would make it's like a reverse arc. Instead of the animals going in two by two, it's the humans going in two by two to see the animals. You always bring such a good biblical perspective. 
perspective, Michael. I, I, that's why I'm on the show. But yeah, I mean, that would, that would be a great idea. And I'm sure they'll look at maybe doing some virtual stuff. And I mean, the problem is they've had things like the otter cam, which I, I've spent hours watching before because I, I just love sea otters. And it, it's like free just now. So, I mean, you could charge for something like that. Would folk pay for it? I think they would. I mean, it's going to be up to all businesses really to get quite creative, I think, to, to try and find ways to start generating money. Because, as we keep saying, there's going to be a new normal, and just yeah. just now, no one knows what that new normal is going to be. Maybe they could do a, a, a podcast about all the happenings of the, of the aquarium. Oh, I could get an otter on to replace Steve. Yeah. Might work the boards better. No. Steve is great at work. Yeah, we, we love you, Steve. I know you'll be back soon. But that, that is it for, for this part. Just before we go, Zach, just let everyone know where they can find you online. Yeah, you can find me very occasionally posting on Twitter these days at Zachary AM. That's great. Thank you for joining us as always, and we'll speak to you again soon. But that is it for tonight's show. You can give me a follow on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Give us a follow on Instagram at AFTN Soccer. And check out our YouTube channel, AFTN Canada. Like, subscribe, and share. We put up our first video today, Sunday, April 26th of a, a new animated video series that we're going to be doing called AFTN Interview Shorts. Some great work done by Ryan Tomshek on this, so check out our video on the YouTube channel and give it a like. We kick the series off with a, a little snippet from my chat I had with Mark DeSantos a few weeks ago where he was just chatting about coaching influences and some of the coaches that's had a big impact on his coaching career. Don't forget as well that you can subscribe to our extra podcast. You'll get all the details at aftn.ca. $30 a year, $3 a month. It's going to get you at least one extra podcast a month. The latest of which is going to be coming out this coming week. So if you're not already a subscriber, head over to the site and check out how you can become one and how you can help support AFTN during these difficult times. We'll be back with another packed show next week. But until then, thanks for listening. Take care. Stay home. Stay safe. Stay healthy and wash your hands. Bye, everyone. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.